Hey everyone, welcome to episode 354 of This Is Whole Life, and this is week number two in the Melanie Bachman experiment. And I feel like, <laughs> it's, yeah. feel like it's going very well for you. I, I really do. How, how do you feel? <laughs> wow, I, I didn't realize this was an experiment, but... But yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should say the Melanie Bachman experience. Kind of like, yeah, you know, I think that's probably a better word. Maybe, Actually, I like this experience. It's really good. Yeah, it's been really good. Been fun. And if you haven't caught the message, I don't even know what to prepare you for. Bring a box of Kleenex, bring a box of munchies, because there's a lot to chew on in this episode. Oh, good. In, in this, in good this message. I, I yeah. really, I really felt like. Melanie, well, we talked last week. She doesn't like to give away what she's going to talk about. Right. And this is not where I thought sibling rivalry was. I I don't know where I thought it was going to go, but this wasn't it. And, of course, I didn't know about the story that you shared. Mm -hmm. And I I thought at least to start it off because you you are the older of the siblings. I am. See, that's the problem. Us youngers know... That my mom used to tell my brother all the time, if you would just stop paying attention to him, he wouldn't do it. <laughs> but it's because that you let him get under your skin that it brings him glee, mm. it brings him joy, and he's not going to stop until you just ignore it. You know, is that Was that possible or was he that good? He is that good. See, I'm that good too. And yeah. He couldn't, yeah. Okay. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to see how close we were. Oh, know? yes. My little brother. I, uh. He he got in enough trouble for both of us. I'll say that. And it really makes me wish I was the second child because after he did everything that he did, I basically could have just skated on through, you know, because he would have plowed the way for me. <laughs> well, you see, that was that was it. That So he probably has the same experience as me. When I got to the academy in Wisconsin for my junior and senior year, they were like, oh, you're Rob's little brother. Oh, we're so excited to have you. That didn't even last a week. And they were like, what? 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 No way you two are related. Wait, your reputation didn't precede you? Oh, it did. Maybe his, you're not as good as you think, Randy. His, his did, but they assumed that we were. I was closer to him than anything that they knew of. So I want to give you a chance. Your mm-hmm. best, Your best brother story. Oh. That you can tell that, you know, it didn't have to make it to the message and be broadcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this one will live in infamy here. I don't know. The ones oh, that she gave okay. in the, in we're the sermon good. were actually pretty good. But I didn't know if there was like one. Breaking you, up on your own, on your boyfriend. I broke up with my boyfriend for that me. That was incredible. Yeah. I'm not sure you, I even. What did your boyfriend at the time think? Uh, well, did I'll tell you, we, we were all standing there <laughs> and um, he just blurts it out and everybody that was standing around heard him because he said it really loudly and everybody oh, no. stopped and looked at me and then looked at him and he was looking at me and it was just this whole awkward situation. And so, was, anyway. So did the relationship continue? It did not. I'm sorry. Yeah, was that a good, yeah, was that, that point. a, or were you like. I think, <gasps> I think my really? brother had picked up on something. Yeah. And I just decided to hurry the process along with it for and, me. <laughs> See, look at look at that. It's hard to put the toothpaste back in. That's he right. loves you. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So I will tell you a story. My dad uh, went on a trip to Borneo, and uh, he came back from Borneo, and I don't know how he did this, but he somehow brought back with him in his luggage a blow dart gun. Mm. With those real blow darts with the poison tips made from the frog poison. <laughs> and oh, wow, TSA wasn't a thing back then. Apparently not, or they weren't paying that that good of attention because he brought it home and he showed it to us. And, and my brother was fascinated, and so he wanted oh, to know yeah. if it worked. Blow darts. Come on. So he tried it out on the neighbor's cow. 
Oh. And it worked. What? what? <laughs> the cow, oh, my. The cow became sick unto death, and my mom spent the entire night on her knees praying for this cow that it would survive because we couldn't afford to buy the neighbors you know, a new, new cow. cow. I was going to say... <laughs> So the the tips were actually still had they, poison on them. They they were good to go. Yeah. They, wow. Wow. That's a that's and a pretty... he hit it first first shot. Did he multiples? Do you know? I do you don't remember? know how many, but either uh, way, good job. Yeah, I mean his his aim was true apparently. I'm just impressed that your mom was following like ancient biblical traditions. <laughs> <laughs> your neighbor's cow gets killed and it's your fault. You got to go buy him a new one. That's good. I don't know. I think that's. Crazy. Currently, Western or, tradition as or, well. Or, yeah. <laughs> well, or you have to give up your son. Is that's that right. Either way, <laughs> if not, it's litigation station for you. I was just oh really, my. I was glad that, that the cow survived, but I was really righteously indignant that my brother did too. <laughs> well, I felt like maybe there was you know, some maybe injustice you done there. The, 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 the suck in the, and the, you know, the dart would have gone the other way. Is that, <laughs> oh, no, no, that would have been bad. Whoa, Whoa. Randy, where are you? Not You're taking indignant. us to a scary place. Not that indignant. Not that righteously indignant. Okay. I guess not. Okay. Right. Well, I just, you know, I'm just trying to catch the barometer here of where, <laughs> where we were at back then. All right. So this was so perfect because when you said that you colored on the wall and your parents told you to not do it and you didn't and do didn't. it anymore. Yeah, I didn't do that anymore. In my tribe, that's mm-hmm. known as the straight arrow. Yep. The yeah. straight arrow. My brother, on the other hand... Maybe, maybe once, maybe multiple times, wrote his name on the wall and, and tried to say he didn't do it. And my mom was like, "This is your handwriting. How can you even say?" It? Yeah. So I mean, so so there you go. That's that's also Melanie. the difference. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. I'm Melanie. pretty sure she did it. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. Oh man, sibling rivalry, man. That's that's good stuff. One of the first stories that you kind of started to make this uh, this case on sibling rivalry was Cain and Abel, mm. and that you said that you know God had accepted uh, Cain's sacrifice, accepted Abel's sacrifice, or Abel's right, right. and then but not Cain's. Mm-hmm. But hadn't we already? And I and I'm just asking because I generally don't know, and I kind of looked for it, but I didn't really see anything that I thought answered the question. I mean, didn't God, hadn't God already given instructions about what was to be sacrificed and it was the, the blood of the lamb that, right? No, hadn't? Well, that's, that's some of some people's conjecture that that's what happened, but that's not actually in the biblical record. So okay. if you look just at the biblical record, right, uh, there is no explanation. It's just an assumption. Yeah. People, people we, have, have, have okay. kind of padded, padded it to try to make it make sense. And, 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 and that's probably what I, I did too. But mm-hmm. see, I, I, these are the parts that I love because I actually went and looked and I'm like, well, it doesn't really say, yeah. but then I, where did I, then <laughs> it, where, just, it just says God liked this one. He didn't like that one. Mm-hmm. Like, but where did I get this from? Yeah. And then I wonder, because later on with Jacob and Esau, mm-hmm. whoa. 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 When you said, well, there's no, you know, there's no sugar coating this one. Mm -mm. And I guess it's been, I just completed the Bible in a year. So this has probably been like about a year since I've been in this part (laughs) of the Bible. But I mean, I I don't know if I've ever, I don't remember reading this, Mm. but I went to look it up because you were pretty emphatic about it. And I was like, okay, let's, let's just, I got to read this for myself. So I just want to read this really quick. God said about Jacob, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really, how have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor, Jacob. 
But I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. Esau's descendants in Edom may say, We have been shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of Heaven's armies replies, They may try to rebuild, but I will demolish them again. Their country will be known as the land of wickedness, and their people will be called the people with whom the Lord is forever angry. (laughs) When you see the destruction for yourself, you will say, Truly the Lord's greatness reaches far beyond Israel's borders. Wow. Wow. That's like forever. I mean, there is nothing that could be construed as anything but like strong language throughout that whole thing. And why? It doesn't mince any words, does it? I mean, that is really crazy and something to wrestle with. Well, I can tell you what there different scholars have tried to make sense of it. Some scholars will point out that and I don't know that this is true. Again, okay. this is this is just somebody's somebody's educated guess. Sure. Sometimes when Jesus said, you must, you know, love me and hate your father and mother and your children and, and everybody else you must hate. Some people say it's more about degrees. It's more like pre- a preference versus actual hatred. So maybe some people feel like they can soften the blow a little bit with that. Other people point out that, you know, Malachi was prophesying during a time when um, Israel was in a pretty bad way. And the Edomites, who were the descendants of Jacob, had actually contributed to their misery. So it's possible that this is more relating to something um, kind of more of a cultural feeling that the Israelites had against the Edomites. And so that's wow. kind of playing into the situation here. So obviously it's it's more symbolic, but um, yeah, so that's that's another possibility. I don't know. But either way, I mean, it's it's not pretty either way. Well, and I found something interesting in, I don't know why I kept going on, but uh, below that part, then it's Malachi talking, or it's about the priests. And part of it was really a heart condition is where he kind of laid it out. He said to the priest, you say it's too hard to serve the Lord and you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of the Hemmed's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, asked the Lord. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. Mm -hmm. So then it feels like a little bit of punishment for being, well, yeah, dude, it's too hard. God, I can't, I can't, I can't follow all these rules. I can't Mm. do it. Or, and also greed. Like, well, man, if we, why are we giving up the good land? That's going to be way better for us. And we're killing this one anyway. It's just a sacrifice. So if the Israelites were misbehaving that badly, then what, what, why did God prefer them over the Edomites? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, it's, it's a question. Sure. And um, it's, it's one of those that doesn't have a good answer. And, and I know, you know, the, like, the the preacher in me, the the pastoral heart in me, wants to come up with a nice explanation and put a bow on it and make it, you know, make it palatable. But some parts of the Bible just aren't palatable, and no, we just uh, we just read it and it is what it is. Actually, I I feel like I feel like we're more willing to do that now, and and maybe and maybe it's just a this church. I, I don't want to <laughs> speak for other churches that I don't go to and I don't hear their messages every week. Mm-hmm. But I never grew up with that that part of it or that side of it that would question 
Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, he didn't really mean that was a little little bit of hyperbole there. That's a little bit of us interpreting things that God said that we just really don't understand. And, you know, there's so many other instances where God is good and God is fair and God is just that if we believe that, well, this couldn't possibly be true. But then where do, where do you land with that? So, you know, I think we do, contextually speaking, on all of these um, these books, especially these, the book of the, what is it, the book of the, I think it's the book of the 12, they call the minor prophets. I, um, oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to realize a lot of times, and it's not hyperbole, but it's close, right? We, we have people writing about things that have already taken place and they use, they use old, um, histo- you know, sometimes in a political way. I hate to use the word Nazi, but we Nazi is a pretty good word for most people to to demonstrate and call evil out. Okay, <laughs> and so I think they would use these these euphemisms, so to speak, to get to a point of what they're trying to accomplish, and so they will use uh, various areas in or people, even you know demographics or cultures and sometimes races to demonstrate what they're trying to get across politically. Mm. And so God hates those. You know, it's, I hate, like I said, I don't want to use, because when we try to contextualize in our culture, it doesn't always fit. But, you know, when we try to, and so I think that does happen a lot in in the Old Testament and, and the New too. And I think that's why Jesus would always come over to his disciples and the people listening and saying, you know, you've heard about this, but <laughs> let me share. <laughs> so because this euf- these euphemisms were so strong in their minds in terms of what old terminology, and we don't, we're not privileged to a lot of that. So I, you know, I, you know, you look at uh, Jonah and you look at Amos, you know, how they understood the Ninevites are all talking past tense in a way. And, they both have different sides to the whole argument. You know, for Jonah, they were evil, yeah. bad, or, you know, and then he and he gives them some kind of a, all of a sudden, they're good. <laughs> they can, they're contrite. Duh. And, you know, and Amos and I think it's Amos or Joel, I can't remember which one. Uh, they, yeah. they, they throw, they never get, they never, never get yet. God's grace. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a, almost like a political stance that Jonah's making. So Jonah, he didn't care for the Ninevites even after the. No, probably never, the, they, in his mind, they are never good people. But. Probably the. I mean, it, it, the part that always makes me laugh is it seems like he's childish in the fact that he's like, well, was totally selfish. I don't want to do this, and I want to. I want to keep like I want to keep God's love to to me and my mm-hmm. people. And I, why would we share it? These people aren't worth it. And then he goes out and preaches like the greatest sermon ever in the history of sermons that. <laughs> transforms an entire civilization of people, and then he's mad about it. Like he didn't even take he didn't even take time to boast about how good his sermon was, how good the message was. I, I always thought that was a little, yeah, right. a little odd, seemed out of character. Maybe we were getting off track with all of these. Probably, probably. Well, I, I liked the progression because you know we start with Cain and Abel when we start at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then we move on to Jacob and Esau, and then we get to John and Peter. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but but thinking about the chosen as you're as you're talking about this, 
And the fact that, uh, you know, the joke on the show is that Peter can't run. See, I and, and this I have I to thought... confess that I have not seen the the most recent season. No, this was in the first season. That Peter can't run? When I they, don't remember that part. Um, Andrew can't dance like right. the donkey on and, hot coals. And Peter yeah. is slow. And Peter is slow. Oh, and, and that's okay. that's in the first season. And okay. I just I laughed and I'm like, well, maybe He's building it. Yeah, he, they're building towards the end. I just thought it was fun that John pointed it out. <laughs> By the way, I came for the yeah. Oh, and it's totally it's just totally two people. People that you know may they may have liked each other, but they, it seems like they probably had the, at least a touch of adversarial. Like it's always a one up and that has something, to happen. Something going on there. And as a guy, I can totally get that. That's a uh, you know things that we we think are important sometimes, which really aren't. But when John leans back, and I never caught this before, when John is like leaning back against Jesus and going like, you know, Lord, who could it be? <laughs> And then looks directly at Peter. And it's like, <laughs> that is, <laughs> that just brings a whole new vibe to to the Last Supper mm-hmm. and to all the things that we know are going on. I mean, Judas knows what he's going to do. And, and, you know, I mean, I don't think John knew what Peter was going to do. But all these little sub stories going on in the background of the last night of Jesus on earth and Sometimes I feel like in my life I, I worry about things that I shouldn't worry about or things that could happen. Mm. And usually they're not nearly as bad as what you think could happen. And in here it's almost just the opposite. I mean, they're all just hanging out and they're still boasting about or who could it be, Jesus? And then, you know, <laughs> later on to find out, you know, what tomorrow brings. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess it hit me to the point of – Maybe I don't take my walk as seriously with Jesus sometimes because, well, I read my Bible, I pray, I pray for different things, for different people, for my family, try to, you know, all the things that we uh, try to be better at as Christians. But, you know, once you're kind of set in motion and you're doing those things, not that they don't, they're not rewarding or that you don't find purpose and meaning in them, but what's the next thing? Because, Come, he will come as a thief of the night. We don't know when it will be. No one will know. And it seems kind of the same thing. Like, you know, there were just like hey, today, t- tomorrow's another day. I mean, Jesus is in his prime. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he's stirring the pot, but, you know, they're never going to take out Jesus. He's the Messiah. So, you know, I think we've got it pretty good, pretty easy. And now we have the whole Bible. We have the whole record. We have the mm-hmm. whole thing to just go, yeah, we, we kind of know what's next. I mean, when the end gets here, it's going to get here and we're either you know, going to do it or we're not going to do it. And well, okay. And it seems like that, like the, like things haven't changed much. And and yet we always make the disciples out as the bad guys. You for mean having we're been basically all sitting around the table at the last summer supper with our, all of our own dynamics, not knowing what the night <laughs> is going to bring. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah. Like we're just, but we're waiting. We're just, we're, sometimes I feel like we're just overconfident in that, in what we think we know and what we think we have figured out. And yet the whole thing you've led up to this with makes me think I don't know anything hmm. that some, this doesn't always jive with what the, like these stories of, especially of Esau, mm-hmm. that doesn't really register with who I think Jesus is and who God is and the Trinity. That's not who I think they are. It's not who I look to, but 
which is which is exactly why we decided to do this unusual encounters yeah series because i i think (laughs) it's like having god in a box Mm. it's like having god in a box god behaves a certain way god does what we think god should do you know, we pick and choose the, the verses that fit the picture that we are trying to create in our minds or the projection that we have of God. And then when God colors outside the lines, you know, we, mm. we either ignore that mm. or we rationalize it. But but I think rarely do we explore that tension and say, you know, maybe maybe there's more going on with God than what my little heart is comfortable with. And what does that mean? I think, yeah, I think for sure, because, and maybe this is why certain things take place is that our hearts aren't going to go there by, by themselves. Mm. And the story you told, I, I give you so much credit. There is no way I could get up front and tell the story you told of Bo. You know, I spend a lot of, t- I spend a lot of time working through the emotion on that. <sighs> Because, um, you know, I, I want to be able to tell the story and I want people to be able to hear it. And um, one of the ways that I think is important to do that as a preacher is to to work out some of the emotion ahead of time so that the story itself is not overrun by the emotion. So it's yeah, it's it's not that I didn't feel the emotion. It's that I had got put myself through the emotion again and again and again, leading up to the moment of speaking so that I could tell the story. I don't know how you do that, but that uh, what you just said of putting yourself through the emotion to prepare, because there's only there's only one two things in this world that make me cry. And that's my girls. Mm-hmm. If I tell a story, good or bad, it, it makes me emotional. And I mean, mm-hmm. I've cried more as a dad than I did in, in the first week of being a dad than I did well, I in think, my entire life. I think we all, you know, at some point, you know, listening to that story, you know, brings tears to our eyes just to think about there's, there's, I don't think there's anything harder for a parent than, no. than that. Yeah. Well, and it just, I, I mean, obviously, there was still a lot of emotion. I mean, you can't tell the story sans emotion. Right. But if I don't know about everyone else, but my heart was breaking in real time as I'm like, when you said he didn't make it home, and I'm Mm. like, oh, no. Mm -hmm. And then the story of how it happened. And then, you know, arguing for one second, right? Like you couldn't distract him for a second Mm -hmm. to just even if the car was a glance instead of a direct hit or... um. You know, all of those things. And I put myself I just, it, right in your shoes and thinking about, I mean, I just imagined it was Ellie. She's on a, she's on a class trip right now mm-hmm. to Washington, D.C. And I'm just like, wow, what if I never saw her again? Mm-hmm. And, and the emotions that, that, went, that it went through. Well, I know what you mean because uh, I understand what you mean because a year before Bo was killed, a friend of his was killed in a car mm-hmm. crash. And I remember being with Tim and looking around at our boys and, and telling him like, I feel really bad and I feel so sad for them, but thank God it's not us. Right. Yeah. No one. And a year later it was us. And so, so I understand that feeling of, you know, I don't know, just this gratitude that you have what you have, you know, but, um, so I, I know there's no hard and fast answers or pet answers on this because, I mean, I, unless someone has walked that mile, 
or a thousand miles is probably what it seems it's like. More what it seems like in yeah. your shoes on this, how 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 it would make you feel, or how life changing, altering. But but what what I really felt myself asking is, what would that do to me spiritually? Mm. Even though I feel like at this point in my life, I'm probably as spiritually strong as I've ever been as an individual. But how 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 has this changed you, or or in any aspect? But really spiritually, how did that change? Did or did it change the trajectory that you were on? Absolutely, it changed. Um, you know, there there were a lot of things going on. I remember three weeks before Bo was killed, I was kneeling at the foot of my bed, and I prayed, God, I don't care what you have to do save my children. And three weeks later, I was standing at the casket looking down at Bo and asking myself, is this what I prayed for? Did I pray for this? And um, there was something that happened at the very beginning, like we were just devastated and in shock, but there was this kind of spiritual adrenaline, right? Like, oh, you know, we're not, that's not going to stop us. We are still going to power forward. You know, we are, we are going to serve God, you know, regardless of our circumstances, we're going to push on, push on, push on. And at some point that spiritual adrenaline just runs out and then you're just left with your darkness and the darkness just settles in around you like a fog. And, um, and I got to the place where I couldn't hear God and I just felt so by myself, so alone in it. And also the dynamics of the rest of the family, because the rest of the family, every single person Mm -hmm. has had a different relationship with Bo and every single person grieved differently. And I felt the responsibility of managing everyone else's grief in addition to my own. And so it was extremely heavy. And I had to ask myself some serious questions because I had such a, a vivid picture of who I thought God was. And then when that happened to us, and not even just the event, but the aftermath of having having something blow through your blow a hole through your family like that, the aftermath is when is when I really started having to ask those hard questions, especially since I couldn't hear God, and um, I had to ask myself questions about, well, what is goodness? You know, well, who is God actually? You know, how does God engage with us? And um, for the longest time, I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't want to engage that question. Well, I shouldn't say I didn't want to. I, I was engaging it against my will, kind of just because of the circumstances that we were in. Sure. But it wasn't long after that. I think it was a, a f- just a few years after that, I started seminary. And um, I had had this experience with with grief and with loss, which, you know, really shook up my picture of God. Then I went to seminary and I learned a whole bunch of more things that really shook up my picture of God. And at some point you get to the place where, oh my goodness, like I thought I had this figured out. Figured out yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought I knew who God was. But um I think sometimes that process of Losing that picture of God that you have puts you in a situation where you can be ready to receive a different picture of God. Mm. 
and I think that's what that, that's what that process ended up being for me. My my expectations had to be broken in order to be altered. And I think that's that's why I like to challenge some of our expectations of God because I think I think that process can actually open us up to something bigger if we allow it. But if we're comfortable where we are, you know, then then you're right. We wouldn't do that for ourselves. For yourself. Do you think your your view of God would have changed to where it is now if you hadn't gone to seminary? Did you need those extra pieces of like, oh, <laughs> there's a lot more that I – or did that cause even more trouble? Because you, I guess you can look at it. There's one thing I'm dealing with here, but if I can work past that, then maybe part of my – view of God stays the same. But if you go somewhere else where they're like, oh yeah, and by the way, here's a couple more to stack on top of that, that you thought you kind of knew, but now you're saying, I'm not so sure. Yeah, no, it was, it, it, it was all troubled. I had the rugs, the rugs yanked out from under me from all directions. And, wow. um, and I, you know, I actually went to one of my professors and talked to him about my experience because I was feeling like, what am I, what do I do when all these pieces that I had perfectly stacked? Mm, it looks good too, didn't it? It looked fantastic. Yeah. And it was a picture that I was more than willing to share with other people in whatever their crisis was because I had all the answers. And it was very good for me to realize I didn't have all the answers. Mm. So what has that done for you as far as your 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 picture of God. Do you like the new God that you've been exposed to or would you be, would you trade like, well, behind door number one, you can go back and have, you know, I wouldn't, I would, I would not go back for the picture of God that I had before. I, I would never, I would never want to experience what I've experienced. Right. But the God that I worship now is so much bigger and so much more unpredictable and scarier and more powerful, and I feel safer with this God than I ever felt with the one I had before. Wow. And it wasn't God that changed, it was me. Wow. How long did that take to come to to everything that you just said? Because I think, I don't want anyone to get the idea that like, well, Melanie went to, to school, <laughs> you know, she went to seminary and then everything was cool. And now she's Certainly happy, not not the the event, but no. certainly happy with the new thing. How long did that take? Uh, Bo was killed fifteen years ago. Oh my! That started the process for me, and I wouldn't say that I have it all figured out and that I've arrived at a place where I'm happy with my picture of God because my picture of God keeps changing. It's just this, it's this cosmic kaleidoscope that keeps shifting and changing. And what what I do, what I try to do, is just maintain maintain an openness to whatever whatever God reveals to me about God. There's a wow. lot of parents, I think, that would that would look at your situation and say, how did, you know, how do you even do this? And and they would say, I think if this were to happen or this has happened to me and I still can't, I, I would never feel comfortable talking in the, you know, the transparency about your emotions that you have at this point. What would you say to them? How long would it how long you said 15 years ago and you mm -hmm. say you still not at, you know, at, there was a level of still pain, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Here's what I've discovered in my process. And I can't, I can't speak for anyone else, but in my process, I've figured out that your grief doesn't go away. It's always still there. Mm -hmm. It's like a shadow that follows you around, but eventually 
you get used to the shadow. You, the edges, the edges are not quite as sharp. The edges are smoothed a little bit and it becomes, um, it becomes something you get used to coexisting with. Hmm. Well, yeah, I can, can resonate that. And I guess it's something we shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised at just given the world we live in and, and no matter what your view of God, it's pretty clear that the Bible or the Bible's pretty clear that life with with God is not going to be easy just because you're with God. Right. It's not going to exempt you from the pain mm-hmm. or from what's going to happen in life. Yeah. Sometimes that's an easy one to fall into and then that makes it seems like that makes the slap in the face when you get it even worse mm. when it comes through. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I've been thinking maybe most about is you said and you quoted Peter and his uh, response to Jesus, and he said, "Lord, to whom shall we go?" Mm-hmm. And you you can take that in two ways. You can make that the most beautiful statement there ever was. Mm-hmm. Lord, I love you so much. I am so confident in you, in everything that I know about you. Where else would we go? Mm-hmm. You have everything. You are everything. But on the other side. It's also, if he hasn't done something or he's allowed something or he didn't come through as you expected or as you even feel maybe biblically he should have or whatever way you feel like maybe you were neglected or that he could have done to you what he did to somebody else, kind of the whole the sibling rivalry, how do you come to terms with with that statement, given what you've been through. And, and, and we've all been through something, but to have one of those and then and say, you know, is, is that still what you feel? Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, I gotta, I gotta be with you. Yeah, I think there's more than one way to interpret that. I think you're right. Part of it is, you know, Lord, I love you so much, I wouldn't go anywhere else. But then I think that honest, in all honesty, there's the other side of that of, wow, there is nowhere else to go. This is it. You know, so so that's that was kind of my point. I can be angry and I can push back and I can, you know, I can recite all the imprecatory psalms that I want to. But at the end of the day, where else, where else is there hope? There isn't hope anywhere else. So where am I going to go? And then I feel like there's almost the, well, he says it to Peter, but it's almost the Job response. You got a lot of nerve (laughs) questioning me. You know, what is it to you if Mm. I do this or if I do that? Where were you when I created the earth? You know, in in this kind of, in this kind of response. And even if you you take it the good way and you're like, okay, Lord, to whom shall we go? (laughs) And then you're almost... Again, there's another slap coming of, you know, you don't get the you don't get to judge me. You don't get to tell me how to do things. You don't have the right to speak into things you don't understand. And it, it, you're back to it seems like you're back to wrestling again. Mm-hmm. And that was just man, that one just has me has been in my head just spinning around to whom shall we go? And I believe that. And but there's also been times in my life when things have happened where I totally feel the other way. 
And like you said, that, that fog always comes. The edges aren't as sharp as they used to be. But when you're faced with them again, for whatever reason, brings them back to the forefront and you question decisions, you question why, you question God's providence in things. And it, it still hurts. It still, it, it doesn't, I don't even know if it feels any better than it did then. And then you're, you're, you're right back in that place. And it seems like you still have to decide which one of those, Lord, to whom, <laughs> to whom shall we go, mm-hmm. that you have to decide which one you're going to take again. It's almost like it's a process or a journey, isn't almost. it? Almost. Almost like that. Yeah. Almost. Man, it just, I, I love the message because just for that reason that I think so many people obviously will resonate with bad things, maybe not all to the degree of your story, but to find their own pieces that fit into that mold and, and in that recollection of things and in that darkness and to just find that place where you hold on and to find that place where I don't, I don't even know because for me it's been, God, I mean, I'm, I don't feel you not hearing you don't know what, like, why, why would any of this make sense to any, any need under the sun that would somehow move your kingdom forward at the expense of me or my life Mm -hmm. or what's in my, in my circle. And and yet, at the end, we really are left with very few answers. It's true, and I, yeah. I'll just I'll just interject quickly. That's the reason why I ended the sermon the way that I did, because I think as preachers we are so tempted, mm, yeah, to bring it around and put a bow on it and make it pretty. And the fact is, I am allergic to platitudes. Like if, when I when I hear somebody try to try to provide a pat answer or an easy answer or a cliche or a platitude, I just I'm not interested in that at all. I would rather have the the mixed up, confused uh, reality than the neatly packaged consolation prize. Mm-hmm. Why? Why I? What? what because does, I does, want what's real. Does it bring you comfort somehow? Or to have that, or to or to want to choose that. I think it has more to do with the comfort I don't get from platitudes. The mm. fact is, you know, and and after a few weeks after Bo was killed, somebody came up to me and said, "How are you doing?" And I said, "I'm not doing well." And I started to cry, and I started to say something to her, and she grabbed me and interrupted me by hugging me, and she said into my ear, "Just think about the resurrection." Which I was like, okay, fantastic. But you know what? I have to get up every single day and take care of my other boys. Every single day between now and this resurrection that that you speak of, I still have to get up and exist and take care of my family and do all this kind of thing. So just think about the resurrection. What kind of ridiculous, you know, offering was that? I think the more you... You know, you go through these things, and I think that's why John does gives us so many stories. I actually was going to ask you, Melanie, if you because I it's it after you spoke, it was like, what was going on between Peter and John? Because <laughs> John is like really throwing Peter around, but isn't that weird? But you almost have the feeling like John respects Peter. It's almost because he's the one. It, if John is right, it, you know, as we think about the book of John, whoever is doing this, there is something going on with Peter too, mm-hmm. because he is being thrown in there. But I do think that 
I think that there's so much to be said about how John wraps Jesus into stories and narratives. And I think if we were to, you know, I always, I, I can't stand books that, that, you know, Jesus in four easy steps or um, the ABCs to prayer mm-hmm. and, and all these things, right. you know, <laughs> as if we could put Jesus in a, in a comprehensive, you know, in, in, you know, 150 pages. I just don't think that works for Jesus or God or anything. So I agree with you, Melanie. I think that so much of these things we try to, we do in sound bites or we try to, he's just too big for that. So I, I think that dealing with grief on a process level, Hmm. you know, we have Stephen ministers and I'll shout out to them. When Mm -hmm. you go through the training, you realize because everybody, everybody thinks that the 50 hours, they're going to know exactly what to do. And after 50 hours, they're all Mm -hmm. going, whoa, all I know how to do right now is to stand with somebody and and be with them in the moment. And that's all I know how to do. I don't know what to say still. I don't know. Because, because grief and loss is a, is a very, very big thing and God's even bigger. So, well, well, it always sounds like old hat. Please don't miss the message. But man, if there was a message that, I mean, if you like, well, if you don't like messy endings, that don't have a lot of answers. Maybe this isn't the one for you, but I would challenge you that it is the one for you because it does challenge and it does move you from that spot where you can feel not maybe complacency, but maybe you're just at a spot where, you know, you're, you're feeling pretty good and maybe there's not a lot of mystery. This reminds you that there's a whole ton of mystery and that God is way bigger than the box that we, we put him in sometimes whether we are consciously doing it or not. Yeah. It, it happens when I you like what at McLaren it. says about this. He says that after the after the the level of simplicity that we all love to stay in about mm. Jesus comes the level of perplexity, which we all should get <laughs> try to get to, mm-hmm. because Jesus is a mysterious God is a mysterious uh, being. You yeah. Know? Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the questions. We had a few, and I think for the most part, people were so engrossed in the message, they weren't even paying attention to the chat. They were not thinking about questions to ask because it was pretty quiet in the chat and it was like really <laughs> silent in the in the worship center. So, you know, you know that's when people are just totally tuned into and if all of this this doesn't have your mind churning, mine was the entire time. It was it was crazy, and all of a sudden the message was over, and I was like, "Oh man, I didn't even do half the things I normally do during service because I was paying attention both times it happened." <laughs> so Sharon uh, Schofield Marquez had our first question. She said, "Please expand on the thought that God loves us all the same, but how much different our life experiences are, and how different the results of our prayers can be." Can we always say God knows best when Satan brings sorrows into our life? Oh, that was that's a big question. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about the first part of that question um, about God loving everyone the same. Uh, what I mentioned in the in the church service was that psychologists say that there is no way for parents to love all of their children exactly the same because they have different relationships with each one of their children. 
And I, I have to think that that is an analogy for the relationships that we have with God. God engages each of us differently, and it looks different. And so trying to say that God loves us all exactly the same would kind of be like being like, you know, t- saying that parents are capable of loving all their children exactly the same. It just, it's, I don't even know if it's a capability. It's just, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. I- you know, you think about the, the the history of the Jewish people, the Hebrews, um, and I think what their motto was that God loves us more. We're chosen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, you know, you get that even from early on where God is saying, you know, uh, all of my people, all, you know, when, when Joshua went before God and says, well, are you on our side? Yeah. And he says, I'm not on any side. So you get this idea that God's trying to paint a picture early on that even though it goes against how the Jews think about themselves, there is a side of God that says, I am here. I want you to be here for my all my children. For all my children, mm-hmm. yeah. We had a, a comment from Anonymous who said, powerful message to realize Jesus loves each of us equally, even though it seems at times that he may not. Life is hard and each of us will have different experiences and outcomes, which, yeah, that's oh, a... Have to, have to concur on that <laughs> one, yeah. for gonna, sure. Yeah. Gonna have to concur. Mm-hmm. And then I think we answered this one on one of the responses after first or second, but it was Trophina's question, which is the obvious elephant in the room if, if it's not asked. Are you saying that the answers are not always there, but we just have to take it? <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like such a straightforward and it again it's one of those things that seems like it shouldn't be like right it we should grates be able to at our sense of justice it grates at our yes. sense of fairness it That's grates it. at at what we what at the expectation that we have you know of of who God is and what we deserve well you i know? really did like your answer of suspended disbelief mm. i think i think that that really goes by the way it goes with the story of peter you know, because uh, with Peter and John, there was this conversation that Jesus has, you know, in the 20th chapter of John, where Peter's just like, well, what about, you know, what about him? Mm-hmm. And I think that answer to Peter was so important because I think when we do that, when we try to compare ourselves, when we bring up our siblings, mm-hmm. so to speak, I think what we're really doing is deflecting the real question that we need to be answering. And that is, I'm still disbelieving my relationship with you. Hmm. And so we deflect. And so Trafina, that that's a really, I think a really good answer. Sometimes, yeah, it does sort of stink that we just have to go with it. <laughs> yeah. But going with it is literally saying, I'm I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm going to follow you even though. And I think that's the part that sometimes Jesus says that's, and that's why Pete, that's, I think that's why it drove Peter to the ministry that he, be, you know, he started, began. Yeah. Well, I think I'll, I'll just, I'll expand on the whole suspended disbelief really quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a film term. I learned, I learned mm, it in yeah, a film class right. a long time ago. Uh-huh. Uh, when you watch a movie, um, for example, I'll just say Transformers. When you watch a movie, um, in which cars are robots and they transform into into talking you know, metal beings. We in in our reality, that's not 
what happens, right? But when we enter into a, a movie like that, we accept that reality for what it is. And that way we can understand and make and and, and make meaning and, and understand what's happening within the story that is in that reality. So when I say suspended disbelief, um, I you, you said follow Jesus even though. I think sometimes some people have to follow Jesus as though. That's a good point. Versus even though. As though this is all going to make sense at some point. You know, as though there's a plan, as though this is going to be. So that's what a little bit what I mean by by suspended disbelief. It's I am going to enter into a reality where God is good and that there's a reason for these things happening and that everything is going to be made new and made whole at some point. I'm going to live in that reality as, as though. It's good. But that's it. I like that. As though. That changes the narrative in my mind. And it, it at least puts. It also me, changes the attitude, right? Yeah. And it puts me on a plane of, this is what it's going to take to survive. And it might be that that seems like one big step from, I'm mad, mm-hmm. and I don't understand, and I don't want to do this. But as though, if I'm going to do that, that's a that's a seems like a big step in the right direction of just leaving it in God's hands, right? Mm-hmm. All right. The one thing that I uh, that I wanted to finish with that I thought maybe was the most I don't know maybe maybe it was the most hopeful to me, and this was about uh, two or three sentences before you actually wrapped uh, your message, and this was speaking to John's self proclamation and self giving title mm-hmm. of. <laughs> The disciple Jesus loved. Jesus loved, and which made me just made me chuckle. But she said, "But if God is not handing out this term of endearment, but it's something that we claim for ourselves, regardless of our circumstances, then maybe I'm the one that Jesus loves. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're the one that Jesus loves, and maybe that's speaking into what this is suspended just belief and as mm-hmm. though. Right. Maybe that's the step that just says if I can say." No matter what's happened, no matter how I feel, no matter what others have told me, no matter if I'm waiting for the resurrection, this is my step to say, maybe I am the one that Jesus loves. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Man, that just, that brought tears to my eyes on Saturday when I watched the message. It's mm-hmm. making me, it's choking me up now because it's, more often than not, I don't think, speaking personally, I need to be reminded of that mm-hmm. a lot. That maybe I am the one Jesus loves, no matter what others think of me, mm-hmm. no matter what I think of me. Mm-hmm. And that's just really beautiful. And that's something that you might want to just put on your mirror, your, put it in your car, put it on your yeah. desk. I mean, that's really. That's a great idea. Really, that, that really is, um, it just really is a very beautiful thought when you put that all into context like we did here. So the second thing I'm going to say is I think you should share this episode with anyone, all people, because I think it's good, even if this something tragic has not happened to you, if nothing else, it should have given you an insight into maybe how to interact with someone who has. And not to think that you have it all figured out, that you can be giving them advice. The hug without the resurrection would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Just hug me. Compassion. Let me know Sometimes that Sometimes compassion is very simple. 
that's a big step if you're just struggling in a lot of places. Maybe it's not as dire as, as that situation, but to be able to say, I'm taking this step and I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to this and take this step forward. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Oof. All right. Back to normal here, Randy. Holy encounters, reasonable doubt. Now, if Matlock shows up this week <laughs> in some kind of, you know, courtroom or Perry Mason, you know, if these, if someone like this shows up this week, will I be surprised? No, I won't. Please tell me you got Matlock for something. I wish I had Matlock, I love Matlock. for this one. I did too. It was a kind of a, it was, he was a little corny, but I loved that. He was, yeah. it was good. But he always just teased out the, the extra, extra story there. And then we knew, then we knew the then rest we knew. of the story. It was a little Perry Mason-ish I, I, yep. where it would just, uh, you know, he never let on until the story started getting really good. Like, oh, he knows. Mm-hmm. And he figured it out. Oh, <laughs> this is so good. Reasonable doubt. And it says that we are going to talk about how Jesus responds to a key moment of doubt from one of his own people. Mm-hmm. So when people had doubts. Uh, Melanie, apparently. Say it apparently. So. <laughs> Again, not much has changed in the past <laughs> 2000 some odd years. Seemingly the same. Yep. So any, I mean, I'm going to ask and you're going to say no, but any teasers? No teasers. <laughs> you're just going to have to be there, Randy. <laughs> no teasers. All right. Well, then that's it. You know, if you've already been through the first two, you know, you don't want to miss number three. And this is the final and I'm already sad and it's not even next week yet. We have a whole message and podcast. Right, but then we have church retreat after that, and that is going to be so fun. That is true. That is the following. We have a no. Do we have a weekend in between? No, we no, don't. We don't. We go straight. You're it. There. Yep. You are leading us into I am leading us into church retreat. And this yes. is your first church retreat. It is, and I am so excited. I cannot wait. I can't wait either. You know why? Because I'm pretty sure, even though I was late to staff meeting this morning, I'm pretty sure I heard a rumor that right now, without people that just come on Saturday for the day, and if that's you, you know, that's that's cool. We enjoy that, too. Mm-hmm. But that this is the largest church retreat in Florida Hospital Church slash whole life history. It is. Yes. We have more than 500 people who are officially registered. And that's about 26 more than the record. I think the old record was 474, if I read my email correctly. Yeah. And there are, of course, people that come up for the day. So it doesn't count the people that are coming up for the day. So So it should be a. As you hear this, you can no longer register for the entire experience. That has been closed, I believe, on the 12th. And today's the 13th. But tomorrow, isn't today the 13th? Today's the 14th. 14th, yeah. 14th, so two days ago. Sunday was the final day. Today's it's, Tuesday. It's the time change. It does Ooh, that to all of us. I know. <laughs> I was messed up all weekend. Yesterday, I was sleepy all day. I don't know what was going on. Probably the time change. Anyway, there still you still can come for the day. Just know yes. that there's no lodging available anymore uh, because we've closed that out with, uh, with Kalakwa. And there's also no meal tickets. So eat early. Eat often, bring your cooler. Yeah, pack a lunch. Or call your favorite person who's already registered and be like, yo, can I come and like snag a little something out of your fridge in your lodge that you've, you know, brought along or, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of on your own. And, you know, there's there's a little, there's a few restaurants in town if you, uh, after the Saturday Night Live show. I don't know if they'll be open though. That seems like it's I sleepy. don't know. It depends on how late we go. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, you know, come for Saturday Night Live. Who can, who can miss that? Oh, it's going to be so fun. 
I got raked into a skit this year. Yes. I didn't, which I didn't know about, which I was told was my idea. And I'm like, from when? You do not want to miss Randy in his new role. I will not say what it is. I will just say. I was going to say, but I can't say because Melanie has the no, the no teaser rule. I have vetoed. Vetoed the the teaser teaser rule. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So one more. And then, of course, Josh Woods is our speaker this year. Josh Woods is our speaker. And so we will actually be taping the podcast live at Kalakwa, as always, in the A-frame in the afternoon. So you don't want to miss that. That's always a good time because not only do you not have to text questions, you can walk directly up to the microphone and you can ask the questions yourself. Yes. And also, I'll just say for people who don't uh, know Josh Woods, he is the chaplain at... Georgia Cumberland Academy. Academy. That's right. Yes. That's right. I believe he's related to a staff member or something. I believe so. I think there's a connection there somewhere. Uh, You'll find all that out. All you have to do is come to church retreat. That's right. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Have a great week. All right. That's going to do it for this week. As always, and have a great week, and we will talk. <laughs> no, that's a recut. That's a who, what, where, when, and why that I wasn't putting. No, I'm not even going to leave that in. Well, as always, that's going to do it for this week. Have – no, I don't want to say this week. Stop it.